Well, good morning. It's great to be together uh, this morning uh, to continue uh, in worship and continue in our series on the Gospel of Matthew. If you've been here, you know we've been working our way um, through section by section this incredible gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. So we're going to continue that this morning. I want to invite you. Uh, you can turn to Matthew chapter 6. If you've got a Bible, if you don't, there's uh, blue Bibles in the seat backs near you or if you want to open up your Bible app. Um, but we have been going through Matthew and we are in chapter 6, chapter 6 of Matthew. Jesus' invitation uh, at the beginning of the Gospel of Matthew is simple. And that invitation remains for us today. It was the invitation, follow me, follow me. Uh, it's an invitation for people to take up this way of life as his disciples, or as we like to say, apprentices, uh, to follow him, to learn from him, to put their trust in him, to orient their entire lives around the person of Jesus. And we've talked about the fact that that's not just kind of signing up for certain beliefs or trying to take up certain ethical practices of Jesus, but it's actually a radical new way of being human is what Jesus is inviting us into. And he called this way of life the kingdom, uh, the kingdom of God, or here in Matthew, the kingdom of heaven. And so over the last several months, we've been working our way through the teachings of Jesus on this way of life, this kingdom way of life, what it means to follow him. We've been learning about who Jesus is and because of who Jesus is and what he's done, who we are in Christ, and then how we live as followers of Jesus in the midst of our everyday life. Now, I wanted just to, to kind of take this moment because this is a pivot in what Jesus is teaching here from Matthew 5 to Matthew 6. And so I wanted to look back at what he's taught us and kind of look into uh, what he wants to say to us as we get into Matthew 6. And I think it's a, a good point to stop and just recognize a danger. Uh, there is a danger here as we're looking at Jesus' teachings that we would see Jesus' teaching here as a challenge uh, to try harder, to be better, to do more. That that is what Jesus is saying to us. That's the invitation. Try harder, be better, do more. We could take that away from his teaching if we're not careful. But that is not the invitation of Jesus. In fact, that approach, I would say, only leads to frustration and disillusionment and actually to a hardness of heart. And it can be very, very destructive. Some of you have encountered this way of talking about and trying to follow Jesus, this way of try harder, do better, be more, right? And you found your way to apostles because in some way you're trying to recover from the devastating consequences of trying to live out a religion that is built on that foundation. This idea that God just wants you to try harder is not the invitation of Jesus. And I think it's not only done great damage within the church, I think it's done great damage to the church's reputation in the world, trying to live out what it means to follow Jesus in that way. Um, you know, the reputation of the church in our culture right now is not good. I don't know how aware of that you are. The reputation abroad in our culture is not good, and I would say it's actually getting worse. I was reminded of that this week, um, our kids are at elementary school here in the Heights, and our youngest is in kindergarten, and the school does these 
grade-wide camping trips, uh, which is amazing. So we, along with 120 other families, all went up to Lake Livingston to go camping on Friday. And it's, uh, yeah, I see some of, some of the parents' faces are like, yeah. It is amazing. It is so fun. It's one of, it, we look forward to it. We've done this with our, our twins. We look forward to this because it's so much fun. I mean, it's probably 300 kids because all families come, like all the kids come, and they all bring their bikes and their scooters, and it is just total chaos on the camping loop where we stay. It's like a demolition derby for kindergartners. I mean, there's just bodies everywhere and crying everywhere. And everybody's like, is that my kid? No, that's not my kid. All right. So, so we're there this weekend and we love going. And one of the reasons we love to go is because it gives us such an opportunity just to, to be with our neighbors and to get to know them and really just to love them and care for them and be the presence of Christ uh, in our neighborhood and in our community. Um, and this this weekend, I was reminded of the reputation of the church because this happened over and over and over. I would get into a conversation. I must have met like 25 new people. I would get into a conversation, and I'm always one question away, right? One question away. What do you do for a living, right? The clock starts ticking immediately as soon as I say pastor. Pat, they're like, oh, man, I got to go. Like what? There's all kinds of ways of saying it, but that's what they're saying. I got to go. Um, and... And I just thought about that because, you know, it's crazy. I can see in people's faces when I say I'm a pastor, when I affiliate myself with the church. Uh, Sometimes there's a look of disappointment. Sometimes there's a look of hurt. Sometimes there's a look of just awkwardness and shame. Sometimes there's just this, um, this anger. You can almost see it from some kind of woundedness that they have. You can see it, and their, their, their whole body language changes, right? And... The problem, I think, is that <laughs> the church has got a bad reputation in our culture. I actually, on the way home, I actually told Langley, I was like, Langley, I got to find a cover job. I was like, <laughs> so when people ask me what I do, I can say, well, I, oh, I paint houses or I wash cars or just something else. So they'll talk to me for a few more minutes, you know, <laughs> say that again. Self-help. Yeah, self-help. Yeah, I'm a, yeah, I'm a, yeah, code it, code it. I like that, Joel. But I, you know, people don't associate um, the church with the Jesus that we worship and the Jesus that so many of us in this room have encountered and had our lives changed by. They don't associate the church with that Jesus. And instead of drawing people to Jesus, the church is repelling people, repelling people way too often. And so people have wised up. They've realized that in too many instances, our rhetoric and the reality of our lives don't match up that what's going on outside and what's going on inside doesn't line up. And it certainly doesn't line up with Jesus. I don't know if anybody saw this story. Um, it broke yesterday. Um, do y'all know the name uh, Jean Vignet? Does anybody know that name? He, uh, he founded this incredible ministry um, called L'Arche uh, that was started in the 60s and just did incredible work creating these kind of alternative living environments, these communities for people with developmental disabilities. In other words, what he was trying to do was help them find a place, not in an institution or just some kind of program, but actually experience the fullness of a community shaped by Jesus. Uh, He had this um, way of talking about it, and I love this. He said um, that uh, he saw and he taught others to see people with disabilities as teachers rather than burdens in their community. Isn't that beautiful? As teachers rather than 
burdens. And as someone who has a child right, with a physical disability, um, that resonates powerfully with me personally and with my family. Um, Jean Vignet, he, he passed away last year at the age of 90. And yesterday, uh, Large shared the results of an internal inquiry revealing that Vignet had sexually abused at least six women over the course of 35 years. And they, the way the article reads, they expect there's probably more, that that's what's come forward uh, in the wake of his death. And according to the report, the women who have no links to each other reported similar facts and that Vignet's sexual misconduct was often associated with alleged spiritual and mystical justifications. Uh, in other words, what Vignet was doing, he was couching his abuse, <clears throat> right, in the language and the teachings of Jesus, right? It's just, it, it illustrates to me, again, it's, and it goes way beyond reputation of the church. Our capacity, our capacity as human beings, as, as fallen people who are broken, sinful, our capacity just to, to get there by doing more and being better and trying harder is not enough. It doesn't get at the deep heart change. It leaves us in a place where the outside and the inside don't line up, certainly not with Jesus. Peter Scazzaro, in his great book, uh, Emotionally Healthy Church, he says, he says this, and I thought this was really, really convicting. He said, why is it in the church we have learned to accept that you can be a dynamic, gifted speaker for God in public and an unloving spouse and parent at home? Why do we accept that? Why in the church have we learned to accept that you can function as a church leader or a pastor and be unteachable, insecure, and defensive? Why have we accepted the fact that you can memorize entire books of the New Testament and be in absolute denial about your own anger and problems with abuse? Why is it you can pray powerfully for deliverance from the demonic realm and refuse to address your own relational conflicts, unhealthy patterns, and woundedness in your life? We need more than behavior modification, right? Than to just change the outside, to try harder, to do more. We need, what we need is for Jesus himself to do the deep heart, life-changing work in the secret places deep within us. We need heart transformation. We need heart transformation, and that is what Jesus is after. Jesus is doing the work of creating a people whose hearts are being broken and transformed by him. A people who look and sound and act more and more and more like Jesus because deep within they are being changed, not because they're trying harder to do better and to do more. <clears throat> so Jesus, he knows this. He knows our propensity to try to do it this way. And so he pivots here in Matthew chapter 6, and he moves um, away from talking about things that kind of impact our relationships with each other primarily and the way we're living out or following Jesus in everyday life, and he moves to the heart. He really, it's always about the heart, but he really is pressing in on this idea of the heart. <clears throat> and what he wants us to see is that, that we need deep heart change, and so he wants to talk about that kind of change. That's what he says in verse 1 of chapter six. He says this, he says, beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them, the outside, 
for then you will have no reward for, from your Father who is in heaven. In other words, this is not about putting on a show for the world. This is about who you are in secret. That's where this begins. It begins with who you are in secret, when it's just you and God. And so Jesus is brilliant. Jesus is brilliant. And what he does here is he gets to those things that reveal the depths of our heart. He goes right for the things, the conditions, the issues that really help reveal what's going on deep within us and that can help shape us deep within. And so he comes at them this way. He comes at money, he comes at time, and he comes after our bodies. So he focuses on those three things. I wanna look at those three things and just talk about those this morning. First, Jesus is gonna go after our money as a heart issue. He says this in verse two, thus when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets that they may be praised by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your giving may be in secret. Give in secret and your father who sees in secret will reward you. Jesus knows, he knows us through and through. He knows that we have a hard time when it comes to our hearts and money. It ensnares us. It entraps us. Why? Because money means power. It means security. It means control. And we're afraid of losing those things. So we use money to hold on to them. We use money to hold on to those things. And in the kingdom, the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven that Jesus is talking about, the goal of life is not to have enough money so I don't have to be afraid anymore. Let me just say that again. The goal of life in the kingdom is not to have enough money and possessions that I don't have to worry or be afraid in my life anymore. That's not following Jesus. You remember the story of the manna, right? When Israel was uh, freed from slavery in Egypt, they went into the wilderness, and how did God provide them? With the manna. They woke up every morning, and there was what they needed, enough food to eat for the day. Now, when they tried to hold on to it for more than a day, do you remember what happened? What happened? It rotted. It literally rotted. That is kingdom finance (laughs) right there. If you try to hold on, if you try to hold on to it, it will rot. It will rot. See, God provides what we need. He says, trust me to provide for your needs, that I love you. That's why it says in Malachi 3.10, test me in this. Test me. Give generously, sacrificially. Trust me and see if I don't provide, is his promise. In your heart, trust in me, God says, and not money. Matthew 6.24, Jesus says this very thing. He says, you cannot serve both God and mammon. Mammon being Hebrew for money and possessions, kind of all-encompassing the material because mammon is the currency of the kingdom of this world. Mammon is about control and power. It's the world's way. It says, go out and grab whatever you can for your own sake, for your security, so that you know you're going to be okay. But Jesus says that's not the way of the kingdom. The way of the kingdom is to trust that God will provide. And so that's why Jesus says, give generously and do it in secret. 
Give generously and do it in secret. Let it be a response to God's generous love towards you, not a means to earn a reputation or to exert power. How amazing. In our broken humanity, we can even take something as altruistic as giving to those in need and make it about us. Jesus says, don't do that. Don't do that. Give in secret. Make it an act, a secret act of the heart of love for God and neighbor. You don't have what you have, in other words, so you can be safe, so you can be comfortable. You have what you have. God has given you what you have so that you can love him and love others with it. Jesus wants our hearts, and he speaks to this because he knows money has the power to ensnare and enslave our hearts. As one pastor put it, um, he said, what Jesus is inviting us to do is to avoid the kiss of death the kiss of death when it comes to money. He says, um, he says that because he's thinking of, of Judas. You remember Judas? Judas is the one who portrayed Jesus, one of his closest followers, one of the 12. He portrays Jesus. Uh, he portrays him with a kiss, right? And that's what I think most of us think about. But do you remember what, what was Judas' role among the 12? Does anybody remember? He was the treasurer. He was the treasurer. He was the guy in charge of the money. And so he followed Jesus in his ministry for three years. He witnessed incredible things, incredible ministry, teachings. He must have loved Jesus. Have you ever thought about? I mean, he was there for all of it. Everything that's recorded in the Gospels, he witnessed it. He was there. He must have made that decision, I'm gonna follow Jesus out of my love for Jesus. And yet... And yet, when the religious leaders wanted to get to Jesus, who did they target? The money guy. Judas betrayed Jesus for money. No coincidence. See, we're all susceptible to the fear that we won't have enough. We're all susceptible to that. And the kiss of death is that we see our money as more valuable than Jesus. That's the kiss of death. And when that happens, we, like Judas, kiss and betray our Lord Jesus for money. And so I I think it begs questions, questions that we need to ask. How much of my decision about money actually is even done with Jesus in mind? So prone to not even consider Jesus when I make decisions about money? Do I ever consider what God has given me and why? Why did God give me this? This asset, this $10 bill, whatever it is, why did God give me this? And then am I living within my means so I can give and respond to what God is doing around me? What if you had the freedom because of the way that you were stewarding your money to actually respond when God puts an opportunity in front of you? It's Jesus or money, it can't be both. That's the bottom line. And your money, the way you interact, your relationship to money reveals who you love and it has the power to cultivate that love. So, first thing is money. Jesus goes after money. Second, Jesus goes after time. Jesus goes after our time. Jesus teaches here on prayer. 
right? We've looked at this before. We did a whole series on the Lord's Prayer together. But when he introduces it, he says, when you go pray, go into your room, shut the door, and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Now, what does that have to do with time? I think it has a lot to do with time. This is why. Because the truth is, secret prayer, secret prayer actually takes a lot of time. It requires a lot of time because it's not efficient. It's about slowing down, about an awareness of God in the midst of every moment of your life. It's that place where we enter into extreme radical honesty before the Lord. C.S. Lewis says prayer is like when me getting naked before the real God. He says that's what it's like. Transparency, openness, honesty. And that takes time. Learning to be still, learning to trust him, learning to hear his voice and know his voice as Jesus says, the Father. Knowing the voice of the Father. And that takes time. We feel so busy, overwhelmed, our schedules, our commitments. Some of us never stop. We wake up checking our texts and our news feeds, and it doesn't stop until we go to bed that night by the light of our phone. And it's just on and on and on. Our minds go all day, race all day. We are overwhelmed, over busy, anxious almost all the time, some of us. And Jesus says the anecdote for anxiousness in your life, the busy heart, is to take up the practice of secret prayer to practice things like silence and solitude, to set apart time in your day, 10 minutes, 20 minutes of just being with Jesus, no agenda, just be with him, just be with him. Cultivate this practice of the presence of God moment to moment, continuous prayer, make it a way of life because of what it means for your heart, the way it orients your heart. I'm absolutely convinced of this, that if we prayed more, we would feel less busy. I think if we prayed more, we would feel less hurried and busy because we'd be more aware of the fact that every moment God is with us. He is with us and we'd slow down and we would see what he's doing around us. We would hear his voice and we could enter into what he's doing. We'd be less anxious and less busy. So what do you think the impact of the church would be if you were known, let's say, if you were known in your neighborhood as someone whose life seemed unhurried and undistracted, what if that's the way people described you? What if um, in your neighborhood you were known as one of the best listeners on the block? What if that was your reputation? Because you slowed down, because you were really present with people. What would it mean if those hurting around us got the sense that when we are with them, we really care about them? that we're fully with them and listening to them and wanna know what's going on in their life. I mean, just simple things, but they take time. And I think it's a posture of prayer that gets us there. If we prayed more, we'd feel less busy and we'd fall more in love with Jesus and that love would shape how we love others. A few weeks ago, just, uh, I thought this was a practical, helpful, practical way of thinking about how to do this in the midst of our everyday lives. I, I read this uh, about a guy who had taken up this, this invitation, this discipline in light of the invitation of Jesus to pray more seriously. And so what he did was he started this practice where every Sunday night he would sit down uh, with a cup of tea and his calendar in front of him. And he would just take maybe 10 minutes and he would look over his schedule 
and he would pray as he looked over his schedule and ask that God would show him the people in his life that were gonna be in his schedule this week. So just he would pray over his schedule, thinking about the people represented there. And then he would ask God to help him see the spaces in his schedule where he could actually minister and be fully present and love them with intentionality. And so he would just pray, God, help me see those spaces, help me see those people, and help me to be intentional about loving them. You see, when our hearts are captivated by Jesus, when we orient our whole life around him, it affects our priorities, it affects how we manage our schedule, it affects our time, it helps us to slow down, to delight in him, to realize he loves us and that he's speaking truth and grace over us. So Jesus says, pray like this, our Father, because it's this deep heart connection in a place of secret prayer in our life. All right, so that's the second one. You know what, the third one, I'm gonna wait. You have to wait to get the third one. You have to come on Ash Wednesday. Fasting is number three, but I'm gonna hold off on that one. Uh, we'll, come, we'll come back to that on Wednesday night um, when we get together here. But Jesus has something to say about our bodies too. I'm just gonna hold off, uh, tease you a little bit with that one. Um, but I think God is saying something really important here. Jesus wants us to understand um, that he's after more than us changing our behavior, right? We need heart, deep heart transformation, And that's what he wants. And so secret giving, secret prayer, secret fasting can all draw us to Jesus and help our hearts to actually be captivated by him and to become people who are more and more like him, a people whose reputation in the world, right, actually draws people to Jesus instead of repelling them. So this week, we're gonna begin the season of uh, of Lent. And so I mentioned on Wednesday, we're gonna get together for our Ash Wednesday service Um, If Lent is new to you, it's a great opportunity to do what we've been talking about this morning, of really being intentional, uh, namely about our time, but it can touch on all aspects of our life. And so what we want to do during Lent is we want to take time to slow down together, and as we make our way towards the cross in Easter, to examine our hearts. That really is our goal together as a community, to examine our hearts and really the secret places deep within us to let Lent create space for special times of worship and prayer where we can come together and say, Jesus, we need you. We need you to do this deep, heart-changing work in us. And to do that, what it means is we have to, we have to be honest with the Lord. Martin Lord joins in his commentary on this chapter. He says, these are the most terrifying words of Jesus in the entire of Scripture because they actually invite us in these secret places Again, like C.S. Lewis said, to get naked, (laughs) to be vulnerable, to be honest before the Lord about what's going on deep within. And so I want to invite you to come on Wednesday night because we're going to begin that process together. And uh, hopefully you got one of these handouts on the way in this morning. It's got some more information about Lent on the back. Just encourage you to grab one of those at the table if you didn't get one. It's got information about how you can fast, how you can pray, how you can read through Scripture. We're going to do that together. Um, But we're going to begin on Wednesday night. Um, And it'll be a powerful time of just worship and prayer and beginning this process of really coming before the Lord as we are, that he might do this deep heart-changing work. So I want to just take some time and pray um, this morning as we prepare for Lent.
And what I want to invite you to do is, um, is to enter into some space with the Lord that's just between you and him. You know, secret prayer, the secret place within our hearts. It's not just for when we're locked away in our own room somewhere, although we need that. And Jesus exhorts us to do that. It's not just that. God can meet us in the secret places of our heart anywhere and anytime. And so I just want to invite him to do that right now with us. Heavenly Father, would you, would you help us to let down our guard to take this invitation of Jesus as a loving invitation to experience all that you long to give us. Lord, if there are things between you and us, we want you to remove those so that we can receive all that you long to give us. And so now, just in a few moments of silence, Lord, would you meet us in the secret places of our heart? And Holy Spirit, I just ask that you would speak. Lord, you know what we need to hear. You need know how we need to be encouraged, what words of peace, of life, of truth, of grace that we need to hear. Holy Spirit, would you speak those into the secret places of our hearts even now? Jesus, thank you. Thank you that you are always speaking. Thank you that you love us and we have nothing to fear when we come into your presence. I just want to encourage you if there's something the Lord spoke to you, you just continue to pursue that with him. And if it's something you want to share with a close friend or need prayer for, we, we have folks that will pray with you as we take communion together. I just invite you, just don't, don't just leave here and leave that in the seat. Take it with you and ask the Lord to continue to lead you into those secret places where heart change can happen. Lord, we thank you and we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.